Shalom. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Peace Talk, a podcast about Israel and the Middle East. I'm Jonathan Sachadotti, a Jewish journalist based in London. I am Mu'taz Khalil Mizu, Egyptian journalist, Muslim based in London. Coming up on this episode. That's a good question. I've never been asked uh, such a question when it comes to uh, gender and Hamas. It's it's very sad to see that the the Christian population is declining. When I was uh, a kid, there was I think 15 or 12 percent Christian people in, in in the country, and now being down to less than one percent, it's very sad. Before we get started, let me just wish you and everyone watching Happy New Year. I thought we could have a drink to celebrate. Thank you, Joe. L'chaim. Fisahatak. Bless you. <laughs> it might seem a bit strange that we're having a beer on the podcast, but there is a reason for it. This week, we are going to be talking to our special guest, Nadis Khoury, the brewmaster and manager of the Tiber Brewery in Tiber in the West Bank, which is a Christian town there. She's going to be talking to us not just about the business, her family and her work there, but also about her experiences since October the 7th. So really looking forward to that. Palestinian businesswoman. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and um, it's actually strange that you're drinking because I thought that in your religion you didn't do that. Yes, in Islam it's haram and uh, in Islam it's clear. Uh, shame to anyone drink it. Shame to anyone hold it. Shame to anyone stand or sit with anyone drink it. But it's uh, you are, now you are in London in UK. It's a democracy. By the way, I know some sheikhim here who you drink, but in secret. Uh, and uh, there is a story which I wanted to tell you, uh, Joe. Is the it... first time which I drink beer in Egypt. This sounds like a good one. I'm looking forward to it. It's in 1994. Uh, I think that after the World Cup in States. Okay. It's the first time. And one of my, our friends, his father worked in France. And they bring it to us beer. But it's uh, not a big bottle. As a result of that, we make with this Egyptian beer, we make water and some shatta, and some hummus, and, and make it, make it, and so we have French beer and Egyptian beer. Okay. But uh, it's, it's exciting. Beer with water, basically. Exactly, exactly. Sounds absolutely disgusting. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, but what we said, and, and you know, we make a secret, like, like a security secret mission, how to hold the bottom of the beer, and how we go to the flat and everything, no one see us. And after that, we close the door. We are four and we drink it. But it's the first time to drink beer. When I drink it, oh, this is the beer. How are you? <laughs> first time I meet it. Okay. So it's a while ago. You look like a pro now. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, we're celebrating and that is because it is a new year, even if things don't seem that positive at the moment, in the Middle East especially. And 2024 looks like it will also be something of a stressful year, I would say. And I just thought maybe we could have a bit of a chat about what's going on and what's changing in the, the climate there. Because we've seen that Israel has now said it's going to withdraw thousands of troops from Gaza. Okay. And there's been a bit of speculation in the media, in the West especially, that this is a reaction to pressure from America uh, to try to ease things off. I thought it was interesting because to me, it seems like actually America's being presented as rather split personality by the Western media. Sure. When in reality, I'm not sure it's like that. I think that America is keeping a fine balance 
Firstly, it still backs up Israel in its actions against Hamas and says that it has a right to defend itself and to destroy Hamas. In fact, I think most Western countries acknowledge that Israel is doing the world something of a favor in getting rid of Hamas and those sorts of terrorist organizations. But at the same time, they are concerned about the welfare of Palestinian people. And more importantly than that, even, I think they're looking towards the future, that after the war is over, when there is the very complicated task of putting things back together in exactly. the West Bank, exactly. in Gaza, Gaza. Yes. and trying to find a, a good solution for the problems that perhaps won't see us revisit this kind of cycle of wars. Okay. I think they know that they have to be trusted by both sides enough. And when I say both sides, I don't necessarily mean the Palestinians themselves, but I think that in the light of the Abraham Accords, they'll want Arab parts of the Middle East to trust the Americans enough that okay. they can collaborate together, maybe, and find a solution that will satisfy Israel's need for security and the Palestinians' need for some sort of self-determination. And they need to be a partner that can perhaps broach both of those. But there is another point, Joe. In ELAF, it's Arabic website, and also in some Emirati UAE newspaper, they said that some officials in UAE and also in Saudi Arabia told Israel to get rid of Hamas to get rid of this Muslim Brotherhood terrorists, please. And after that, when they go to the United Nations, when they go to the on camera, we support Gaza, we support Hamas. But the truth, which also some Saudi newspaper, I repeat, some Saudi newspaper uh, 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 publish it, that many Arab, many Arab go to Israel and say to, to it, please get rid of Hamas. And you, see, you remember, Joe, when we uh, make interviews with Avi Isharov, he, to, he told us Egypt, for example, will be so happy if she see, uh, if, if Egypt see Gaza without Hamas. Many Arabs go to Israel and say to, to it, please get rid of Hamas and the jihad from Gaza. And I think some of the rumours we've heard this week about what might happen are still rumours, but we've heard Tony Blair's name doing the rounds a bit. Okay. And I think that the Palestinian ambassador, as they call him here in the UK, the head of the mission here, uh, Hussein Zumlot, was actually very keen yeah, to... <laughs> he, he called him out on, on Twitter, on X, for uh, this rumour, saying that he would have been in charge of forced displacements of Palestinians. What do you trust about this story? Well, I, I don't think that that's correct. What I think maybe has happened is that maybe there have been possibly some conversations with Blair and about having some sort of role in brokering a collaboration between different peoples, whether it's Israel and the Palestinian Authority or other Arab states. You don't think so? I am afraid from anything which includes the name of Tony Blair. <laughs> Firstly, you are many people. And, and you know that Tony Blair has a relationship, a good relationship, uh, with Mohammed Dahlan and with UAE. Mohammed Dahlan, he is from, from Gaza City and now he lives in UAE. Some, Mohammed Dahlan, Egypt accept him and also UAE and also Saudi Arabia, but Qatar not, mm-hmm. not to support him. But in conclusion, in conclusion, you should, we should talk about the relationship between Mohammed Dahlan and Tony Blair. Tony Blair, he's advisor to Dahlan. And he, they, they cooperate together. So do you think that's something that works in his favour or against him in relation to a role in what's going to happen next? Uh, it's my opinion, in my opinion. Money talks. 
I think is a, uh, is a state, Arabic state, which can give to the Palestinians the money to rebuild Gaza, and also the state which can encourage the Palestinians to solve many of their economic problems, UAE. And who is the, the, the UAE man now? Mohammed Dahlan. And by the way, by the way, the relationship between Tony Blair and UAE is good. We, we will have to see whether the Tony Blair rumours uh, come to anything, but that was certainly an interesting, an interesting idea. And we also saw the, uh, the news that there was uh, talk that Israel was talking about having Gaza operated in the near future by clans that it already has relationships with, and they would take control over certain areas in terms of distributing food and aid and uh, sort of municipal activities mm. through discussions with uh, Kogat or the Shin Bet and, and things like that. And so I think that all of these rumours really only point to the fact that it's a really difficult equation that's going to be hard for them to solve and to balance, but that ultimately it's going to take some out-of-the-box thinking, I think, whether it's Tony Blair or clans or involvement of Abraham Accord countries, something that once would have seemed almost impossible to imagine before October the 7th is probably going to be the route which will start us off towards a, a new future. Now we've got a new section where we're going to look at some of the Arabic media and what they say about the situation in Arabic. So tell me, you've got something that you wanted to bring up this time. Uh, this week, there is a guest uh, which said that Israeli Defense Army go to Gaza, make many Palestinian, Palestinians as hostages, and go after that, kill them in Israel, okay? And steal their organs, and after that, return their body to, uh, 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 to Gaza again. This is quite an outrageous allegation. So let's take a look at the clip first and then have a talk about it after that. You hear what he said? Okay, organize. They still organize. And, 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 and from where he, he spoke? London. And the weird thing about that, it's not only... It's a written usual. It's produced here in London. Yes. It's broadcast in Arabic. The most important part is it's based on literally zero evidence. We've had so many people complaining for weeks that they didn't see any photographic evidence or any positive evidence of rapes, of murders, of beheadings when there was footage filmed by Hamas themselves. And here we have somebody saying in Arabic that the Israelis have taken hostages from Gaza, killed them, harvested their organs, and then given back the dead bodies. And Imagine if you are Arabic. I live here, live in Europe. By the way, Al Hawar, it's so famous, very strong channel. If you're Arabic, Muslim, and you live together in the same state, in the same street, in the same area with Jewish, it's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous if I know that Israeli army or Jewish persons kill the Palestinian to, to take their organs. Do you think they oh. believe it? People believe that? Why do they believe that? Because they want to believe that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, from one worrying video to another now, we've got the video that was released by the Israelis of a confession from a Palestinian guy who they were interrogating. And this is good because it actually shows him admitting that they used the Shiva hospital for terrorist purposes. Let's take a look at that video. <laughs> Please, Mr. Ghassan Abu Sitta, and please our NHS doctors to tell us about their opinion about this video. Please, please, and, and, and you can see uh, there is a translation to this terrorist uh, man, and you can see. Dr. Hassan, we wait your replay, okay? Our brother in NHS, we wait you. The truth is that the NHS march and all of those NHS workers who've been protesting so passionately against Israel uh, may well have the lives and welfare of Palestinians in their heart, but they don't seem in those marches to mention the abuse of hospitals like Al-Shifa here explained in black and white terms by somebody who actually knows about it up front. And it's interesting, as you said, that we have Dr. Abu Sitta, who has been interviewed extensively in the Western media here in the UK as well. He's been working in that hospital many times. He was working there after, this terrorist said, after this the war started. This ter terrorist said that the terrorist from Hamas come from the tunnel, sit with the people, sit with the patients. Palestinian patients, and after that, they return to the tunnels. So, Mr. Dr. Hassan said that they all, they only wanted to attack us. They only wanted to kill us. Okay, Dr. Hassan. And and beyond that, I've seen uh, many us. interviews where he was asked specifically if he'd seen any any Al Jazeera exactly all. whether he'd seen any Hamas activity in hospitals, and he has always said that he used to hunt around the hospitals looking for supplies, and that he had no restrictions on anywhere he would go, okay. and that's been his answer every time. But it seems here that we were actually told by this guy in this interrogation confession that they were actually not just in tunnels under the hospital, they came out into the main hospital. And we saw it in the video, the CCTV that the Israelis released when they acquired the CCTV from the hospital after they went in there, showing the hostages being taken in. Yes. A man with yes. a meat cleaver. Yes. We saw that there was terrorist activity, not just under the hospital, but... Uh, by the way, it. Owen Jones tells us they, they wanted to take care about the hostages. Okay? Owen, Dr. Hassan Abu Sitta, our friends in NHS, please see this video and we wait your answers, your replay, okay, your reaction. We're delighted to be joined by Medis Khoury, who I actually met in 2017 when I visited the Taiba Brewery. So Medis, welcome to Peace Talk and nice to see you again. Thank you. Nice to see you again. Thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. Um, and at the moment, obviously, things are quite tense in uh, Israel and the West Bank and the whole region. So we're speaking to you at quite a different time from when I came and visited. 
But we wanted to speak because we're trying to get a variety of voices on, on our show. And yours is pretty unique, as I understand it. You're not just making beer in a majority Muslim area. You're not just uh, a Christian living in a majority Muslim area. You're also the only female brewmaster in the Middle East. Is that right? As far as I know, correct. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a bit about that and tell us a bit about Tiber, because I know that you have the, the beer, which is actually quite famous throughout the region and internationally. And also you make wines there, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, my, my father and uncle and grandfather started the business uh, in 1994, right after the Oslo Accords in uh, Taibe, um, the West Bank, Palestine. And it's the first microbrewery in the Middle East. Um, I grew up in the business since I was uh, nine, 10 years old. And um, as soon as I graduated from college from the US, I decided to move back and work with the family full time and learn the business and follow in my father and uncle's footsteps. And, uh, and that's what happened. Now I'm here and uh, I'm the first and only female brewer in the Middle East, as far as I know. And I also help manage the business. So can I ask you, first off, uh, just a few sort of questions as a, a Palestinian living there, um, things mm -hmm. that some of our audience won't know a lot about. Firstly, do you feel you live in a democratic society there? I believe from my experience in growing up here um, that we live in one of the most liberal Arab countries, Palestine. Um, a lot of people don't know that there are Christians living in Palestine. They don't know that people drink alcohol or that we have, uh, you know, go out and read. Like, they think Saudi Arabia or they think the desert or they think they don't know Palestine. And um, uh, I think by making beer and exporting abroad and selling it locally as well, um, it changes people's mindset and opinion and uh, and the image of Palestine as well. Uh, uh, Madis, uh, you know, in my religion in Islam, as a majority mm -hmm. in your society, the beer and the wine is haram. So tell us about your experience to you and your family making alcohol. And I know that uh, some Palestinians attack some factories, something like that, which making alcohol and wine. In the past, correct. And, and, uh, even, then, and even now. And even now, I see some, some accident. Well, knock on wood, thank God, nothing happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, but you're right, 99% of the population in Palestine are Muslims. Uh, so now at the moment, there's less than 1% Christian people left in Palestine. Um, and yet, 50% of our sales is sold in Palestine. Um, the market is very small and limited. We sell alcohol where there's a Christian population residing. So it's nine cities and towns. Um, but our beer is and wine. Um, they're available for people who uh, enjoy high quality uh, craft boutique uh, products. And it's available for those who want to uh, try it. I actually bought some of your beer and wine when I was there and, and took it back to Tel Aviv and brought it to Shishi dinner, to Friday night dinner with my Jewish family. So it's nice, Lovely. actually, this is kind of, to me, this is the vision of the future that we can coexist in that way. And, and I, I wonder for you, you mentioned there, for example, that the Christian population in uh, Palestinian territories is massively reduced over the years. Can you tell me how that feels as a part of that part of society? 
it's it's very sad to see that the the Christian population is declining. Um, I think when I was when I was uh, a kid um, in the nineties, there was I think fifteen or twelve percent Christian people in, in in the country, and now being down to less than one percent, um, it's um, it's very sad. Uh, but I don't blame uh, a lot of people, a lot of Palestinian Christians who uh, want to leave the country for a better future for their kids, uh, for safety, for freedom. Um, but I do hope they come back um, and invest their uh, their experience, their knowledge, their education, their kids into the into the country because this is what I was I was brought up this way. Um, I was born in the U.S., but I moved to Palestine when I was ten. Uh, finished high school, went back to college in the U.S finished college, came back to Palestine and um, and, and, and investing my time and knowledge and experience and hard work into, into the country. And that's how my family believes we're able to build the state of Palestine and the economy of Palestine by investing into ourselves, not just relying on foreign aid or foreign uh, funding, which just evaporates any minute. Madis, uh, you cooperate with Israeli factories, Israeli people, with a peer, there is a cooperation. We have customers. We have customers in Israel that sell our beer. Um, it's sold in the big cities like Nazareth, Haifa, Yaffa, uh, Tiberia, East and West Jerusalem. Uh, so our beer is available um, in Israel as well. Uh, or from the very few Palestinian products that are available in Israel. You have those who do support Taiba and who do drink it and do love it and enjoy it. And you have those who don't want to support the Palestinian product. But, you know, it, we don't force it uh, on people. It's available, again, for those who want to find it and, and drink it and enjoy it. And, okay. And what about the cooperation after the 7th of October? And especially, especially you know that the atmosphere there. And uh, I also wanted to ask you if Hamas make a life more uh, difficult, make a, make a cooperation, coexistence more difficult? Well, um, since, uh, since uh, October the 7th, things uh, have become uh, a bit more difficult uh, business-wise, just because a lot of, uh, uh, since then, a lot of roads in the West Bank have been blocked and closed. Um, so there's, a, there's, maybe one road for each city and town to move around, to leave and to enter. Um, and then at the beginning of, uh, in October and November, the roads were not safe. They were pretty unsafe for Palestinians moving around in the West Bank from, Isra from Israeli settler attacks um, and uh, flying checkpoints by the Israeli soldiers, uh, just stopping and um, causing um, traffic and frustration and humiliation to Palestinians moving around even in the West Bank from one Palestinian city or town to another. Um, and so at the, also um, the first few weeks, um, there were commercial checkpoints that we used to enter Israel or to enter Jerusalem. Um, they were completely closed. So we weren't able to distribute in Israel. We weren't able to export. We weren't able to import. Um, we were just waiting and praying and watching the news and hoping things uh, get better. Um, now, slowly, uh, it's not open, but we're able to, the checkpoints are open. We have to call ahead of time because also there's not a fixed schedule. For some reason, things are off. 
uh, we have to contact the checkpoint, the commercial checkpoint, to make sure that the roads are open, the checkpoint is open, and we're able to send our products to Jerusalem or to Yaffa or to export. So um, things are not easy. Uh, I mean, they've never been easy for the past, uh, I've been in the business for the past 17, 18 years. So um, every year it just keeps getting more difficult and more challenging. But during these past three uh, months, um, it's not just... Um, not just the Palestinian people that suffer from the occupation, but also our products. You're obviously quite a formidable person as a woman to have become the only brewer in the Middle East, as a woman in a society perhaps where women are less frequently business leaders, if I'm not assuming incorrectly. So actually, when I was there, I met a few women. Not many. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so let me ask you there, is that a misconception first off? Is it is it difficult as a woman more than it would be, say, elsewhere in, in the Middle East and in the West to be a female business person in your position? Do you, do you find that difficult? Are there daily challenges? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, even till now, I face, uh, I face challenges uh, being a woman in, uh, in the beer industry. I, I mean, women in the beer industry all over the world have it challenging and difficult, but I feel like I have it four times as difficult because uh, being in an Arab country, um, performing and doing business under occupation. Um, when I started, I was only 21 years old, so I was very young at that time. And then um, uh, just being in a male-dominated uh, industry as well. So yeah, I find it uh, challenging, but I'm very lucky to have uh, a supportive family. And um, my father, my uncle, my even my brother and cousins are very supportive and uh, push me to keep going and um, yeah I think the older generation working with them it was a bit challenging at first now they sort of got used to me um, and now many of the younger generation my generation that are opening bars and hotels and restaurants are working with me and uh, um, so it's not so challenging but yeah I mean you know sometimes working with drivers trying to pick up the beer or transport the beer you know, they they talk to the to my employees thinking that the employee is the manager or uh, the person who's contacting them, whereas I'm the one who's, in, you know, in charge. So I, I, I get that bypass sometimes. I think maybe maybe women around the world are familiar with this problem, not just where you yeah. are. Yeah. I, more, on a more serious note, um, and mm. I know you're not a politician, but as a as a regular citizen making your way there, what happened with Hamas's attack specifically on women on the 7th of October? How, how could you receive that? How did you react to that where you are? Um, I'm talking about the gender-based violence that's been making its way out in the New York Times and elsewhere at the moment. Uh, that's a good question. I've never been asked uh, such a question when it comes to uh, um, gender and Hamas. I, um, I've i been living in this country for um, for the past 17 years and doing business in, in, in the brewery and in the West Bank for 17 years. And um, I've never faced, uh, you know, any problems, um, me personally, uh, when it comes to Hamas. Um, not that, that I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, honestly, but... 
Well, listen, I accept it might be difficult where you are to answer the question, but I suppose I'm going to push it again if you don't mind. And then, uh, which is to say, you know, women around the world have seen what Hamas did to women on October the 7th, regardless of what nationality or religion those women were. And I'm just curious for you, because of the connections you have and the position you sit in geographically and also culturally, how it felt to you? Because obviously you identify with the Palestinian cause, with the mission of Palestinian statehood, and yet I presume you're as shocked and, and horrified by what happened to women specifically on October the 7th, are you not? You know, it's um, whether, um, whether I'm in the West Bank or whether I'm in Gaza, you know, also Palestinian women do get harassed and, um, and um, um, attacked by Israeli soldiers and settlers as well. So it's unsafe for us Palestinian, Palestinians and Palestinian women to, to move around in the West Bank as well. In the past, I grew up during the Second Intifada in Palestine. I used to go to school in Ramallah and it used to take me hours to get to school. And I used to go through the gun, the gunshot, the tear gas, the demonstrations, the blockade. Um, so, and that, but now during these times with, unfortunately the very radical government, uh, Israeli government, it's becoming very unsafe for us Palestinians as well in the West Bank to just move around and just go to um, another Palestinian city. I try to avoid moving around um, after dark because a few times there have been settler attacks on Palestinians. Um, a woman was shot from a town nearby from my town just passing from the same road that I drive on a daily basis. So it's, it's unsafe all over. And we hope that this year, 2024, um, there will be no more attacks on either side. Um, there will be peace. And I'm sure that we have high hopes for a peaceful future for both the Palestinians and the Israelis, because it is possible to happen. We just uh, need to move forward. If this horrible moment pushes us nearer to a situation where there are two states and Hamas comes to power ultimately in the West Bank, what happens to the Tiber Brewery then? Um, well, Hamas won the government election back in 2010, I believe. I'm, I'm off with my dates. And we were still making beer and we were still selling. And Can you export beer to Gaza? Actually, before, um, before 2000, before the year 2000. Before I was, Hamas were in power. Before the year 2000, I was a bit younger, but my father used to sell uh, beer to Gaza. There was an international cafe at the beach and uh, all the international people were there and they were drinking uh, Taiba. Um, now, after 2000, after the second intifada in 2000, um, I mean, they can barely get medicine and, and, uh, and um, food supplies. So... Beer is uh, more of a luxury product, let's say. Um, so we haven't been uh, selling uh, beer to Gaza since before 2000. So, so if Hamas came to the power in the West Bank, for example, if Yahya Sinwar be a president, you will continue your work? We will continue doing beer 
and wine and we will continue to be in Palestine and in the West Bank and we will continue doing business regardless whoever is in power whether it's the Israeli government or it was the PA or it was Hamas in in hadith in the Islam yeah shit to hold it la'anallahu hamiliha wa la'anallahu sharibha and shit to drink it this is yeah. this is my religion this is I the Hamas okay so I respect that. And also, I we produce uh, beer for those who do drink it. Christians are allowed to drink it. You know, some Muslims do drink it. We don't force people to drink it. But Muslims who are liberal and open who do drink it, actually. And uh, you have um, expats. You have tourists in the country. You have Israelis. Our beer is available for those who want to drink it. We have alcoholic beverages. And we have non-alcoholic beverages as well. So... Uh, we have a variety of products and we will continue to do business and we will continue to make beer regardless of the difficulties and challenges that we face on a daily basis uh, because I believe this is how we uh, build the state of Palestine, the economy of Palestine, employing jobs, creating a high quality product, exporting abroad, getting the name Palestine abroad um, and um, yeah, and enjoying life. Just to give you a, a, to, a less of a hard time, because I don't want this to be um, brutal <laughs> on you. I, it's, we're just the whole aim of our show is that we're really curious about how how things will map out. So I very much admire your strength of spirit and determination in that respect, because so much is unknown where you live. Correct. A lot of a lot of things are unknown. Correct. Yeah. And, and our questioning isn't designed to to be um, difficult. It's literally, I, I'm genuinely curious how someone who, who a family have spent all this effort and time and investment in building up something. Because as you said, uh, right now, it's a very liberal Arab society. In fact, I remember visiting uh, one of the bars in, in the West Bank, Snowbar. Mm -hmm. It's a fun place. Yeah, it's, it's a fun place. And, and you know, I enjoyed visiting your brewery and winery. So I suppose our question is, and, and, it's, and you've answered it, I think, as strongly as you can, what happens if your society gets more extreme, more Islamist, more extreme Islamic. And your answer is you're determined to carry on as long as you can doing what you guys do because you don't want it to be that way. You want it to be open to all, all, all people who want the beer and the wine should be able to make it and buy it is what you're saying effectively. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, again, we don't force people to drink our beer. Those who don't want to drink our beer don't have to drink it, you know. Um, it's a good slogan. You should put it on the posters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have one of our posters is Taste the Revolution, Drink Palestinian. Uh, it's more of a, uh, to support Palestinian products uh, initiative. Um, tell us a bit about the future of, of um, Taiba Brewery, Winery, the hotel. What are the new products you've got coming up? What are the new projects? What are your hopes for how you can expand? everything else being equal or let's say better? Sure. Um, so we have exciting things happening um, in the business. We are uh, expanding the brewery um, itself. We've built a building right next door and uh, we have plans to, um, we have plans to expand the business, um, expand our portfolio, our product line as well. Um, and then also we're exporting abroad. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but our beer and wine are available in the UK. We're in London. Um, so people are able to try our beers and wine there. Um, Where can they buy it? Do you know offhand? 
Yeah, of course. Um, so our agent is in Notting Hill. Um, he has a restaurant called Maramilla Restaurant. Um, so he sells retail and wholesale as well. So people are able to take home the wine and beer um, and share it with their friends and loved ones. Um, but we're also working hard on exporting abroad, entering new markets. We are in, um, I think, 16 markets now. Um, we are in uh, uh, France, Norway, Denmark, the UK, the US. Um, we're in Jordan. Uh, Jordan was actually the first Arab country um, to take uh, Taibe beer and Taibe wine um, during COVID, surprisingly. Um, that worked out and uh, we are working now exporting to the UAE and hopefully to other Arab countries. So we have uh, those that happening. We are also working with um, specialty brews. We have a new line of beers called the Brewmaster series. And these are specialty brews, limited edition um, and only sold at the brewery. We work with local uh, ingredients such as za'atar, sumac, uh, we work with uh, dead sea salt, um, prickly pear, hot chili peppers, shatta. So uh, what uh, Arabic coffee. So whatever is in season, whatever we're in the mood for, we just play around with our local ingredients and make a very nice beer um, that's available here at the breweries. What's great about these stories and about what you guys are doing there is that really, I think you're proving that beer, wine, good times can actually bring us all together. And Definitely. that's exactly what I think we need a bit more of, especially in your region. So we really appreciate you joining us and I uh, hope you forgive us for some of the questions that were a little bit tougher, but we've enjoyed hearing everything Thank you had you. to say. Thank you well, and forgive me if, if there no, is something that, no. no worries. Um, I like a challenge and you guys are all welcome to come and visit the brewery. Hopefully when things are nice and peaceful, you're able to visit uh, the brewery, the winery, the town of Taiba and... Uh, we're hoping that we're going to have peace uh, all over and we'll toast with Taibe beer as well. Assalamu alaikum wa alf shukr. Salamat. Thank you. That's all we've got time for this episode. Uh, by the way, Taiba, it means that the city which you can find on it, uh, kind and good people. Taiba means good and honest? Yes, at-tayyib. Excellent. Good oh. to know. Uh, well, next time we'll make these a Tiber brew, hopefully. And in the meantime, wishing you all a happy new year. Let's hope that more talk leads to more peace. Happy new year. Wassalamu alaikum. <laughs>